0: it's so much better for me to look back and see pictures of Linda, who at the time I was cringing at myself in photos. I was cringing at looking like a frumpy mom, which is what motivated me to start doing this. But now I can look at her and be so grateful for her bravery in taking a step for owning her health
1: welcome to another episode of the thriving over surviving podcast where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it i'm your host Edie sahesian i was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? What do you use for a measuring stick for your health? What determines a good day versus a bad day for you? For some of us, this stays pretty consistent. And for others, well, you might wake up each day and a new and unexpected symptom might arise. So regardless of your physical health, I believe a lot of how we feel about all of it relies heavily on our perspective. I don't know about you guys, but I love personality tests. So in high school, I think that's when it started and I would do all those Cosmo quizzes and I'm still obsessed with them. But now let's turn it to the adult portion of this conversation. So... When I'm at work, I do a lot of those kinds of things for everybody to get to know each other. And I love to learn about myself and how I'm different or similar to others I interact with. It allows me insight into our interactions and perspective. That's one reason I believe knowing and understanding your core values is an integral piece in the decisions that we make to shape our lives. So if you are like me, you have done All the tests and quizzes and things. So if you've heard of True Colors, I am gold, which is organization, things like that, making lists. I'm also green. I love to collect all the info and grow my knowledge. With the Strength Finder test, see, I told you I love all these things. Above all, I am futuristic. So again, loving to plan, see the big picture and where my decisions are going to take me. In the Myers-Briggs assessment, I have the least common personality type. I know it was so weird to get my head around that. I am an INFJ, which means I seek harmony and I am a devoted helper and supportive companion. I'm always seeking a deeper meaning and purpose in life. Well, my guest today, she mentioned to me that she's an Enneagram too, and I had no idea what that was, so I had to investigate. I could not believe that I hadn't heard of this. So first off, there are nine main types of Enneagrams, and she is a number two, which is a considerate helper, which coincides perfectly with her core value of caring. Linda Ryan. after her diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, she determined that she would not allow MS to define her. No limitations. Linda's other core value is health. And this perspective of living out loud has allowed Linda to commit to things she believes help her do that. This wife and mother of two is now the owner of her own consultant company. You can say she's also obsessed with working out. She is determined to thrive in life and helps others to do the same. Let's chat it up with Linda. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Goodness. We're excited to chat with you. It's so great to meet people through mutual connections. And if you guys listened to our very first episode, Melissa, Melissa has a twin sister who actually hooked me up with Linda. And what else is beneficial is Linda is also an educator. So we're like meant to know each other, I feel like. So (laughs) Linda, why don't you start us off helping us get to know your story a little bit? What happened when you were diagnosed?
0: So, gosh, diagnosis stories, I think, are always a wild time, right? So I was actually in a brand new leadership position at my school, um, and I was leading the charge in understanding the Common Core standards. And I also had a blood clot that I was managing at the same time. I had a DVT in my left leg. And so fast forward, I have to do two days of training in front of my entire school building. And at the same time, was leaving to go on my lunch break to get my finger pricked and check my blood levels and all that because we had not quite figured out what my medicine management was looking like. And that day, I was driving to school and everything went numb on the left side of my body. And I'm driving and I'm like, wow, that was weird. Like, did I just have a stroke? Because it came back. I was like, what in the world? And then as the day went on, realized like the left side of my face was still feeling a little bit numb. And I was like, well, ignore that. You got to do this training. (laughs) You got to show up for these people today. And they're already mad because this is the end before their winter break. So make it fun, (laughs) show up and be your best self, which is kind of typical of us being diagnosed with MS. We ignore some of those symptoms. And so I went on my lunch break to get my finger pricked and brought it up with the nurse and just said, is there any kind of relation? Is that a normal symptom for somebody who's dealing with a blood clot? And she was like, no, like you need to go be seen, go to urgent care or whatever. And get to urgent care, explain what happened. And a physician in the office tells me I'm having an anxiety attack. Hmm. (laughs) I looked at that woman and I said, You better believe I am feeling anxious about the fact that my face is numb. Yes, that is a that is an accurate statement and very anxious about this. And I just, you know, couldn't believe. And I said, I understand that I have nervous symptoms about what I'm managing, but the numbness in my face is very real. And I need to get, I need you to take me seriously about what's happening here. And so I never went back to school that um, day. They sent me to the ER to get a CT scan. Um, and my now husband was my boyfriend at the time. He had to come get me because my car had a flat tire and I could not get myself
1: <laughs> to the ER. The comedy of errors here. Here um, we go.
0: It was such a Jeez. wild day. And of course, the CT, can't, CT scan came back. With nothing and the the recommendation was, well, you know the good thing is your c t scan is clear, so you know follow up with the neurologist if it if it persists. I'm like, does nobody think this is a big deal? Like my face is numb, and luckily, just a few months prior to that, we had gone on like a a youth outing through our church and met another couple, and the husband was a neurologist, mm. and I thought. I know a neurologist. Like, I should ask him what needs to be done about this because I had never experienced any of that mm-hmm. before. Uh, so I did. I, I reached out to him and he was like, Come in, let's get you seen. And he did all of the tests, you know, did a sugar test, a salt test, all of that on my tongue, you know, was feeling, poking, prodding, and sent me off for an MRI. And, you know, this was winter break during school. So MRI comes back and he explains to me that there are lesions on my brain. And that um, it looks like MS. But because I've only had the one symptom, it would be a clinically isolated syndrome, mm. wouldn't technically be diagnosed as, as MS yet. So we decided to get me a second opinion, went and saw another doctor who looked at the same scans and said the exact same thing. And so then I was like, okay, like now I'm managing a blood clot and maybe this other diagnosis, we'll have to figure out what that looks like. And figured out that, you know, not all neurologists are the same thing. He didn't necessarily specialize in multiple sclerosis. And this was back in 2012. So kind of on the cutting edge of what what was happening with MS. Uh, And so he connected me with, there was one local specialist in our area. And he connected me with her who had a waiting list a mile long. And so I had, this was in January that we were kind of Now figuring this out and establishing that I had CIS and got on her waiting list to see her in March. Well, in the meantime, in February, I got up, got up one day and was driving to school and made it to the stoplight and could not see. I was like, whoa, like I, something's happening. I'm not going to get to, I made it home. Luckily, I had barely gotten up the road, did a U turn and I was experiencing double vision. So I would look at something and I would see two of them. And uh that was that was scary. It's hard I think for a vision symptom to be part of your MS along with everything else, but it's certainly scary when your vision gets messed up. And so I ended up going on steroids to manage that symptom. The numbness I had been living with and it was fine, but With that, of course, we wanted to see if steroids had an impact on adjusting what was happening with my then active lesion. And we figured out that it was on the back of my brainstem and it was impacting my muscles that moved my eyes together. So the muscle that was helping my eyes track together was not working at the same time, Um, but it took weeks to clear up. (laughs) So... My mom came down. She lives in Pennsylvania. I'm in Charlotte. And she would drive me to work every day. And I would go to work and see two people or see, you know, two Word documents and stuff and keep going.
1: (laughs) Just dealing with it.
0: (laughs) Just dealing with it. Going to an infusion center, Mm. which, which for the steroids, which was a really hard experience because in that moment, you shift from, being the person who runs in someone else's honor to being the person that people run for. That's a really hard moment to make that shift because certainly like I did plenty of 5Ks for other people. I always supported somebody else, whether they were a personal friend or even just the concept that people are experiencing disease and I want to be there to support them. And then all of a sudden, like I'm the reason that people are coming together and planning to do a 5K. And so being being in that infusion center, I think, was a turning point for me to realize just how scary this disease could be. And yet, at the same time, did not want that to stop me either. I cared deeply about my identity as an educator, my identity as a fun person. And so I was also navigating, like, how do I manage this and not let it stop me. And, you know, luckily, I the steroid infusions did clear up that particular symptom, Life got a little bit back to normal, you know, the numbness in my face doesn't impact speech for me or anything like that. It's just just impacts how well I can feel on this side. And then I, you know, got in with my neurologist and started treatment had to make some decisions about being having to do injections, we you know, we had we landed on doing copaxone to start and was also managing a blood clot. So we had to kind of get some things cleared between two doctors on can I stop the current treatments for the blood clot so that I can start injections and see how this mild treatment, the mildest treatment on the block, right, is going to impact
1: my MS. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot to even consider. And because you're such a driven human being, You know, you want this kind of thing to stop you. I was in a similar situation, and I basically ignored my MS for a little bit, a couple years. I don't know if that was you too, but I—it's not that I didn't take my Copaxone and inject myself with that terrible pen noise every day, but yeah, it was—it was a transition. So, how did that begin for you? Where was your mind, and like that? To get to where you are now, I know how you you behave every day and what you put into it. So, what was that period of time for you like?
0: In the beginning, it was very difficult. In some ways, I wasn't ready to accept needing to make major lifestyle changes. That was part of my rebellion against the disease a little bit. I specifically remember looking at my doctor, she was explaining to me that, Many people who have MS do really well on vegetarian diets. For example, she was explaining this back in the day. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not doing anything with my nutrition. Straight up. I was like, nope. And part of the reason was, you know, I was like, you just told me that stress is an important factor. And I'm telling you that having to add the stress of completely revamping my diet and my nutrition will add stress. I was like, that tells me I'm not in a place to do that. I need to figure out managing my stress first. Cause again, like brand new to this position in school. And, you know, that year we, my husband and I, we got engaged. I started graduate school. So we were planning a wedding while I was a new graduate student earning a master's while also still managing this leadership position. So I knew that if I wanted to pursue those things that were an important part to my identity, that the other pieces to what would help me manage this disease, like I needed to put those off. Whether or not that was a good choice, you know, that remains to be seen. But I was consistent with my treatment for a long time until I
1: got pregnant. So I'm really impressed with the doctor that even mentioned anything about diet because 2015, mm-hmm. from my personal journey, I asked about it and they said, they sent up a nutritionist and she just said that I needed a balanced diet, like a normal, you know, yeah. what is that? The food pyramid stuff. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of impressed, but I'm also just floored with your ability to say, no, I need this first and then I can move into that. So now you're telling me that you have done the Copaxone. Are you still on that? I'm not right now. Okay. So
0: Copaxone was really consistent for me for about two years. And then I became pregnant with my first son. So, you know, I went off the medication. And then once I was able to get back on it after then, the three day a week had just come out. And so I did switch to that, but it made it much harder to stay consistent on it. It was way better for my body because I reacted really poorly at injection sites. Uh to Copaxone. But I also, I didn't want to switch to something else that had had much more severe side mm-hmm. effects. So I, I did my best with it, stuck with that. And then three years later, became pregnant again, and went off of my treatment. And since then, I actually have not been back on treatment at the time. It's been a little bit of a rocky road with my doctor, not without her support, necessarily. She's just been really clear with me. Well, number one, let me just say like, Having one specialized doctor who's on the cutting edge of MS research for me has been such a blessing because I feel really comfortable with her answers, like the diet thing, right? Like she she's on the cutting edge of research. She's participating in conducting research when she can. So I know that she's up to date with everything, which I'm very lucky to have access to her through that. But some of, some of our discussions have been, you know, since having My youngest son, he's four now. Since having him, I've made a lot of lifestyle changes and really gotten focused on what my everyday health looks like, including losing some weight, including looking at like, how am I moving every day? Am I working on my balance? How have I incorporated yoga and weightlifting? Like, My body is capable right now, so I'm going to do what I can. And so in some of those discussions with her, we talked about quality of life and the fact that the injections, I, she named it as I'm having a lot of injection fatigue and yet not necessarily ready to get on something that has much more serious side effects or potential for serious side effects. And so where we are right now is I'm clear that her recommendation is to always treat MS. She would never as a doctor recommend not to treat it. But she also recognizes that it's been 10 years since I've had a serious relapse. Mm -hmm. And all of my MRIs have remained clear. And so we have kind of a shared agreement that I will continue to get scans Probably more regularly than I would if I were on treatment and that the second that we see something or the second that I feel something that changes Mm -hmm. and I do feel close enough to her that I like I trust that guidance. And if she said otherwise and really put her foot down, I would absolutely be following her advice.
1: Sure. So, okay. So as health is one of your core values, right? It's a very important piece to you. It sounds like you had really normal pregnancies, healthy babies, and you came out of it well. I know a lot of people that have relapses after they give birth. So I'm super happy to hear that. But. I want to ask you, Linda, because I feel like talking to people in our community about their health and about those decisions, it's a very divisive topic and people are really, really take a side in all of it. And it's funny to me and all you guys listening, no judgment here where this is judgment free zone. That's right. We all say in our community that all of us have, it's a snowflake disease. Everybody reacts differently. So I feel like the decision to take meds or not take meds, the decision to change your diet to something specific or to change your movement habits, that's all a very personal decision. I'm not going to try and put my decision on you per se, but I am going to try to educate myself and to hear what other people are doing and why. So a lot of people rely heavily on the medication, do not change Mm -hmm. their living habits, whatever that might look like for them. And on the flip side, some people, like I spoke with Matthew Embry, and he says no cheat days at all, which that's a scary thing for me, but I, I know in the back of my mind that making those lifestyle changes is going to help me in my life, not just with my MS. So for me anyway, that's that's my perspective of it. So tell me a little bit more about your experience and how you changed your lifestyle habits to now suit your needs.
0: I think one of the, the biggest things that I've learned in discovering a health journey, weight loss journey, whatever you call it, is the fact that every single person is unique and that that's actually backed up by science. If anybody reads Fiber Fueled, every single human being has a different gut microbiota. And of course, we're seeing that 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 does have a relationship with MS. So we're starting to discover that. And so when you think about that, it means that your health and the decisions around your health to treat, to not to treat what your diet consists of, what your movement looks, it should be unique to you, and it should be what makes you feel good, period, and I think that's what I was trying to say to my doctor in the beginning is I know that if I tackle this thing that feels giant in the face of what is already hard, it will not feel good it's for it's the mindset piece of it. you have to be. Ready to receive the information that you're getting to then be able to do anything with it. We all know the people who want to work out or follow fitness influencers or whatever. And they see them and I wish I could do that. They know what to do, but they may not be in a place where that's the right time or the right style for them. So for me, what I realized, I was a college athlete and I was approaching doing a workout from a perspective of if I don't have 45 minutes to an hour or more, then I don't have time to work out, which is bull, right? Come on. Are you serious, Linda? And once I started realizing that, that like I have 10 minutes and if I do 10 minutes of something, that's more than the zero I was about to do because I didn't have 45, right? Like 10 minutes of walking or 10 minutes of lunging or 10 minutes of. Meditating is better than the zero I was about to do on the couch. Mm-hmm. And so when that mindset started to shift for me, I found myself realizing this is my mantra. Something is more than nothing. And that's a mathematical fact. Right? Yeah. Something <laughs> more than nothing. I'm a literacy person, but as my friend Rob says, we are all math people and, and mathematically that is sound. <laughs> right? So what I discovered, for me, I found beach body resources which are at home workouts, I don't have to leave my house. And for a busy mom, right? That's an important factor for me. Having a commute was no longer a good match for me in terms of taking ownership of my health. Having time to go on a four mile walk on the greenway was no longer a good match for my life and the way I wanted to live it. So having access to at home workouts that give me 20 to 30 minutes of cardio, weightlifting, bar, whatever that program looks Mm -hmm. like has been a perfect match for me. And then the tools that they have for nutrition taught me enough about food and what types of foods I'm putting in my body with a focus on whole foods, with a focus on real food. And am I looking at how much is processed? Am I looking at how much sugar maybe is in something because it's everywhere and we're all sugar addicts, right? Like, It just helped me make that shift. Now, in the beginning, I was a little bit over obsessed and bought into diet culture, Mm. very frankly. In the beginning, I wasn't necessarily doing it for the right reasons, but I am so grateful that even though I was not in the right mindset about why this health was important to me, I'm so grateful that I found those tools and got myself into a routine and spent time understanding what I was learning from the nutrition because now four years later, I understand what I can be doing and how that fits into actually living my life. I no longer say no to pizza. On the weeks that things ebb and flow, I'm very aware of why the scale is fluctuating. And I'm like, that was an intentional decision and I'm okay with that. And it's also set me up to love myself for where I am now, and love who I was when I started. It's so much better for me to look back and see pictures of Linda, who at the time I was cringing at myself in photos. I was cringing at looking like a frumpy mom, which is what motivated me to start doing this. But now I can look at her and be so grateful for her bravery in taking a step for owning her health. And so now I'm 40, And I'm in some of the best shape of my life. I feel in control of my life, which I think is a really important thing in the face of an unknown disease, right? I don't know when the next lesion is going to pop up. I don't know when it's going to be a hard day for me mentally. This happened to me the other day. I was in a a women's empowerment brunch, which is right up my alley. Mm -hmm. And we were asked to complete a journal entry. Of it would be a miracle if that was the prompt. And I shocked myself because I wrote down it would be a miracle for me to see 70 and play with my grandkids. And I had not thought that ever. But I realized this is what MS does to people. We have these thoughts, whether we know it or not. Those types of thoughts are lingering for us. So what is that telling me? I'm a person with MS who hasn't had a relapse since her initial diagnosis, and I still have those thoughts. I don't have a f- physical evidence of any kind of disability. I'm not sitting in a wheelchair, and I recognize how lucky I am in the face of this disease and still
1: grapple with how difficult it is. It can be fearful, too. It's terrifying. Yeah. And it's it's hard to move past that. And I don't know, you can tell me, the part where you're, you feel like you're taking control, at least, of this present moment, and you're doing something to better yourself as a whole person, it, it feels a little bit comforting to know that you're at least making things good in this present moment. And- Because we can't, like you said, we can't look at what's going to happen in the future because we don't know. You could wake up tomorrow and the optic neuritis could be there or you lose bladder function, whatever it might be. And the good thing Mm -hmm. about my situation is I researched MS, but I didn't realize what could really happen Because I kind of stayed out of the culture of it for a little while. Mm -hmm. And just for those first couple of years, got used to saying and feeling, I have this thing. And it took me a while to actually start to be immersed in the culture of autoimmune disease. And so, that whole piece that you just said about it would be a miracle if, I think that is just bringing it all to the forefront. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about retirement and recognizing that I'm 45 and half my life is over. What is the next half going to look like? And I too, planning for that retirement, I'm like, I'm not going to live to be 90. I don't have to plan for that. I just have to plan till 70. And it's a hopeful thing. I shouldn't be thinking like that, though. What's my mindset around that? And so I think that for me anyway, it's evolving still. Sure. And listening to the perspective of people like you and how you're tackling things helps me a bunch. So thank you so much for sharing that really personal moment with us because You know, with all of this, too, a lot of people grapple with even saying I have MS out loud or telling others that I have it. And so you've even made lots of lifestyle changes, not just in your healthy eating and your physical movement, but on that stress level. And I want to commend you on that because I think stress for most of us is the number one trigger. And so now what does that look like for you? You've changed jobs. I don't know if that's <laughs> a little bit more stressful having your own business because you love it and it's, you know, your baby or what. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about that transition and why you made that decision.
0: Well, that that was an interesting also an interesting journey. I feel like that's just the name the name of my name of my life, <laughs> interesting journey. There's probably some kind of Lord of the Rings <laughs> metaphor there. You know, maybe I'm a little bit more like Frodo than I. Am. So we were in the midst of the pandemic. We my son was doing remote kindergarten and I was working at school full time, but remotely, and spending all of my nights every time there was a school board meeting. Oh my gosh, okay, what's the decision gonna be? What are they talking about now? How's this gonna impact us? What does this mean for him? What does this mean for me? So talk about stress, right? It was a very difficult time for us. And the decision was made that Students were going to be starting to come back in school, which meant I would be back in school. Um, but my son, we had signed him up. The decision to keep him in remote kindergarten was a semester long decision. So he was going to be staying remote. And as a, a byproduct of that, being remote meant that we had access to seeing my in laws safely. My, my mother in law moved in with us to help with remote kindergarten and stuff, which was a, a beautiful blessing for us. And so we were presented with the decision of, do we lose access? To seeing our in-laws because now I I would be exposed. How do we manage that? And so I we we decided it was better for me to resign and then revisit things. Resign with no plan (laughs) essentially, and then just kind of see what happens right in six months when I could reapply to positions. They have a little blackout period and stuff. And so it was like, all right, like we're doing this and we have no plan.
1: All right, (laughs) here we go.
0: And it was an identity crisis for me too. Longtime educator thought I would be retiring from public education been practicing being a teacher since at least high school. And so this was a huge, huge change for me. And, and through that, you know, that's where I landed on becoming a beach body coach, which taught, taught me a lot of things. And then I had some opportunities that just presented themselves where I could facilitate some professional development virtually as a contractor for my local school district. And I started doing that. And I was like, I kind of like mm. this. This is, this is kind of cool. I think I could turn this into, this could be a thing. And so started running my own business as an independent consultant for education. Then it's been over a year since I established that it's been a wildly successful year somehow. And there's of course stress involved in that. But what I'm finding is, I think it goes back to taking back some of that control a little bit because I work for myself I like my boss is really great about giving me (laughs) days off
1: when I need them. That's an awesome lady to work for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's, she's badass. So she's, she's cool with saying, yeah, like you need to take a vacation. Yeah. We'll make that work. And yet like I also own everything. So there is a lot of stress about being a solopreneur and managing what that looks like. So what I've done is surrounded myself with a community of people and other thought partners to help me manage what that looks like, or to even just be my thought partner to say, here's what you need to do next, or here's what I'm hearing you say you need to do next. Everybody deserves a coach in that way. And it's given me the blessing of being able to be a car rider mom. And drop my kids off in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon. And I didn't have, I would not have had that opportunity staying in in the school in the school system. So a big piece of closing my stress circles for any any Emily Nagoski fans, if you haven't read her book, Burnout, and you want to understand closing your stress cycles, like you gotta read that book. There's physical movement is a huge way to close your stress cycle. Right. So when we're experiencing stress, we better manage it. By actually releasing whatever that tension is through physical movement, which is why I desire to go for a walk at the end of the workday before I go pick up my kids. Because it actually, it helps me release and clear my mind as well as just like my, whatever tension has built up in my body. It's the same thing as a good cry. I cried last night. because so I was super stressed. <laughs> I said to my husband, I was like, <laughs> I think I just need a hug, which not a hugger. So he, he like made that happen real fast because he is. And I was like, I think I just need a hug. But like that cry helped release it. I think it's mm-hmm. really important that we learn to tune into our bodies in that way. And that when we're feeling the stress, we don't ignore it. We don't push it away. We lean into it. You have to lean into the signs and the messages that your body is telling you because it's It's giving you clear signs. And for people with MS, it's showing up as a symptom. And and so we can't ignore that.
1: So I 100% agree. I haven't read that book about the stress cycles. So now I have that on my list. It'll probably help me a lot because like I said, stress is one of my number one triggers. And so I just think that there's a lot of processing that goes into what you're talking about and seeing all the bright sides of everything because you didn't stop what you're doing and lose your identity. You really kind of built this new piece of yourself Absolutely. around your needs and your values to help you have the, not just your best life, but it sounds like the best life for your family as well. I'm wondering how does gratitude play a role in all of that for you?
0: So gratitude is a really important part of my life. I, I think one way it shows up in terms of my core value of caring is when people cross my mind, I let them know. Like when somebody, it's when somebody pops up, like my, my old boss crossed my mind. She came up in conversation the other day on a walk with a friend and I got home and I sent her a text message. And I was like, hey, just saying, hey, found myself thinking of you. Like, how you doing? right? Sending some love. And I just think that that's so important because people typically cross our minds, right? Like we all have shower thoughts. We're like, oh, I wonder how so and is doing, right? And I think, what if they're not there the next day? You've got to let them know that you were thinking of them. Even if it's as simple as, hey, sending some love. Think about how how that feels to receive that. So for me, like showing gratitude of people and how they show up in my life is really important to me. I'm a handwritten thank you note person. I have a gratitude journal. It's like $6 on Amazon and it's an easy prompt where every day you write down three things that you're grateful for. And there's some really nice like quotes about gratitude and, and all of that at the top of each page. But it's like every two pages is a week and there's three, three lines for what you're grateful for. So I start off my day writing that down. Morning routines are much easier for me than nighttime routines. Like many people end their day with gratitude. I can't do that. My nights, it's like once the kids are in bed, I don't even know what happens. I black <laughs> out. So incorporating it in the morning is an important habit stack for me. And what I've found is because I started doing that, I look for that which I'm grateful for before I write it down. I'm looking for that throughout the day because I know tomorrow I'm asking myself, what am I grateful for? But even sometimes in my gratitude journal, like I'll I'll write, well, number one, like it's okay to repeat things. It doesn't have to be different gratitude every day. And so because of that, it's created this perspective where like I'm always looking for the bright spots in something, even if it's just to have the accountability of being able to write something down and not wake up the next day and be like, what am I grateful for, mm-hmm. you know? But also I'll even write down, damn, that coffee was good yesterday. You know, because sometimes it is just the really tiny things or wow, I found a really cool sticky notepad yesterday. I'm really glad for that coffee cup shaped sticky notepad. Because yeah. right? like it brought, maybe it brought me a little bit of joy. Right. So I think it can be big things. We often think of gratitude as like really big things, but it can also be like really small things too.
1: Yeah. I don't think it has to be those big things. And every day I'm thankful that I got home safe. And it's every day for me because I think driving is dangerous. And so yeah. I make sure to say that out loud that I'm grateful that I even got home. And so it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're focused on the positive things that are going on. I mean, we don't need to not reflect on the other things that maybe are hindering us from success, but living in that positive place, I think just makes your whole perspective change. And so Absolutely. I know you have a very intriguing tattoo on your shoulder. Can you show us that? Take her out. <laughs> I'll take
0: her out. I wanted to just- We'll let her, we'll let her out in the <laughs> wild. Sorry, I got chilly. I got yeah.
1: chilly. I wanted to ask you about this. So that is, it's a tiger, right? Cheetah. Cheetah.
0: Cheetah. And where does that
1: mm-hmm. come from? So,
0: so this is Tabitha.
1: Hi, Tabitha. Um, And
0: for any Glennon Doyle Untamed fans, they will know Tabitha. She is the, actually, let me pull up, here's a good picture of her from Glennon's journal. So Tabitha is, Glennon tells the story of Tabitha who lives in a zoo and Glennon's at the zoo with her daughter and they put on this display where there's a pink bunny on the back of a vehicle and they put Tabitha on display chasing it to show her prowess, show her skills off to all the people. And at the end of that display, she ends up like on the top of a mountain. And Glennon's daughter asks about this and says, Mommy, why did they make her do that? It's this whole metaphor of you're being put in a box and you were meant to be untamed. Mm. And so this regal looking picture of a cheetah is really just about like, down with the patriarchy, down with society's expectations of you, you deserve to live life untamed. And so for me, this tattoo is a representation of that. I mean, clearly, obviously it's Tabitha, but also how am I remembering that I'm a GD cheetah? Mm. This is my reminder that I'm allowed to be that. And so when I find myself maybe living in the box a little bit, or down in the dumps about you know what society expects of me or what I expect of myself even. It's no, stop. You can be a cheetah and to heck with everything else, right? Go after it.
1: Yeah. I love that. Now I got to read two books. Is that what you just told me? Oh, my goodness. Well,
0: she has a journal. So if you don't want to read the book, you can always journal along with the book. I see. That
1: actually sounds (laughs) lovely because I need to get into that a little bit more because my gratitude right now is very much just out in the universe. I'm not solidifying it. I'm not having a record so I can go back. And if I'm struggling one day, I can go back and say, oh yeah, remember these other things that you're grateful for and all this flourishing things in your life.
0: Now I will say, so my gratitude journal, if you go back and look at the dates, it's not every day, just so you know, like it's okay to not should yourself that way too. Like some days I wake up and forget about it. And then the next day I'm like, oh shoot, like I didn't write anything down mm-hmm. yesterday. Right. So I have also given myself as a recovering perfectionist, right? Like I've given myself the grace of if you miss a day or two, or you don't bring it with you on your vacation this weekend and the dates are not exactly perfect, that's okay too. Right. Just keep, just keep going. Just keep practicing that gratitude and it's okay.
1: Yeah. And don't punish yourself either. You exactly. have good intention, exactly. but whenever it happens, lean into that and it's okay. Yeah. I like how Brene Brown does that too. And she says, it's okay. This is okay. And this is not okay. Oh, she's got another book. What is that one? (laughs) This one's The Gifts of Imperfection. Okay. Lovely. My favorite of hers is Dare to Lead. (laughs) That one's back there okay. too. Okay, okay. So we get to like set up a book club is what I'm hearing. I'm down. Whoever wants yes. to join, let us know. That. We'll be we'll be setting that yes. up shortly, I'm sure. And I like <laughs> that, you, well, I don't like that, but I hear you saying that you're a former perfectionist recovering. And yeah, that's a thing too because it's hard to yeah. even show gratitude for anything if you're always striving for more and Absolutely. that's a that's a real thing too and i certainly fall in that boat so you've given me a lot of things to think about today linda so okay let's <laughs> let's kind of review shift from being the person that runs for others to being the person that people are running for that is a really big shift focusing on managing stress first quality of life above all else. All our bodies are different, which is certainly the case. We must be ready to receive information, to make changes with your lifestyle. If we're not in that preparedness piece and ready for those changes, we're not going to be able to do it. Something is more than nothing. Love myself for who I am now and where I was when I started, you know, really say, this has been my journey. And where have I come from? Because we don't always recognize either that we're making incremental steps. It's an interesting journey, taking back control, surrounding yourself with thought partners, Close stress cycles. Lean into the signs and messages your body is telling you. When people cross your mind, let them know. We are meant to be untamed. And recognize if you're in that perfectionist mode and see how you can recover from that. Oh my goodness. I had no idea we were going to have all these great tidbits from you. Thank you so much for being here. Please, please, please share with others where they can find you, where they can reach out, whether it be for MS support, health, um, any kind of educational consulting. Where, where are you?
0: Easiest thing. Come find me on Instagram I have two accounts. My personal one is Linda M. Ryan with an N and you can see all I like you can see me work out every single day. I put it in my stories. And then I also have my business Instagram, which is just Linda Ryan consulting and through those things, you know, there's link trees, but send me a message. I'm always happy to connect with people and hear other people's stories connection I don't know. I probably listed that as a value before you made me narrow it down, (laughs) Edie, but connection is really important to me, connecting with other people. And I think that's certainly the case in the MS community. There are people that I've connected with that I never would have
1: connected if not for MS. And for that, I'm really grateful. Oh, absolutely. My thrivers are the best people in my life. You guys really do it for me. I get built up every time I talk to a fellow MSer and hearing these stories of major triumph really motivate me to live my most best life. So if you want to hear or learn more about your core values and gratitude, hear more from people like Linda, head on over to the website at thrivingoversurviving.com. We'd love to see you there, make a connection and join our thriving community. Everybody, I hope you all keep thriving. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving.